just a great atmosphere killer. And the celebrant did a great job. He just said, just tell them I'm busy. And just kept right on. I said to the kids, I'm going to do a wedding. And they said, oh, you're going to England. And they're not quite, not quite. And I just want to, um, before we move any further, point out we have a, a shiny new pulpit this morning. Now, when I was youth pastor back in the day, youth used to get blamed for breaking things all the time. Like, all the time. And 98% of the time it was true. But as a youth pastor, my defence was always, it was the women's ministry. That was my number one defence. And if that wasn't believed, I would blame the seniors. It was the seniors' morning tea. They put the hole in that chip rock, not the youth. This pulpit was broken in the lead-up to the women's conference at a prayer meeting. So finally it has come true that the women did break something and it was not the youth that did it on this occasion. Just thought you'd want to know that little random bit of information. Hey, I'm going to get into my message this morning. I want you to turn, if you've got a Bible, Psalm 133. If not, you can look on the screen and it should come up very soon. Reading from verse 1. There's three verses in this psalm, Psalm 133. It says this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured out on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Other translations say, there the Lord commands his blessing. Now, oil on poured on Aaron's head was anointing oil. If you go back and look in the Old Testament, you'll see that when Aaron was anointed as the priest, they poured oil on his head. It went over his head, down his beard, over his robe, and just drenched him completely in oil. And in the Bible, oil always represents the Holy Spirit. Oil always represents the flow or the anointing of the Holy Spirit at work in someone's life. And so the picture that is painted in these few verses is one of oil, anointing, flowing from the head, down the face, in the beard, and onto his clothes. The um, American Standard Bible Version says that it comes down onto the edge of his robes. So I want you to get this picture. The oil flows from his head right to the edge of his garments. So there's no part of him that is not dripping in oil. He's been oiled up and it flows from the head to the edge. And I think this is a great picture. I think personally for us as a church, I don't know about you, but I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Does anyone want the anointing of the Holy Spirit in their church? Yeah, that's probably a good thing to have as a church. Five ingredients of a church. Anointing is probably one of them. We want anointing in our life. We want anointing in our business. We want anointing in our family. We want anointing in our school. We want God's presence to flow. But here's the thing. I never want that anointing, I never want that Holy Spirit to just be contained to one place. But I want, just like this picture says, that the oil would flow from the head to the edge. So that the anointing wouldn't be contained to a worship service on a Sunday morning in a church. But that every gathering, every connection, every time you have a conversation with someone, that anointing would be flowing in your life. That every aspect of it. I just don't want the youth to have five salvations. I want to see salvations right across the board. It's not about one place or one day. Today is Pentecost Sunday, if you didn't know. It's not about just saying, okay, Holy Spirit, this is your day. Just like Mother's Day, go for it. We're going to ignore you the rest of the year, but go for it today. It's not about that. 
It's about saying, Holy Spirit, we want you to flow. Holy Spirit, we want your anointing all over this place, every day, in every aspect of our life. And we're given this great picture here in this psalm of the oil flowing from the head to the edge of the garment. That means that no part of the body misses out, no garment misses out, but every aspect of it is touched and filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a flow of oil that covers the entire person. And I don't know about you, but I I like the sound of that. I like that picture that that paints in my life. Like I said, not just my life, but in church, in my family, in my business, in anything that I put my hands to. And I think in these few verses, like I said, this Psalm 133 has only got three verses in it. And this writer of Psalm, which was David, he describes a correlation between oil flowing and what is it that he talks about in this Psalm? Unity. He paints a picture that says the oil flowing is a picture of unity. He says, when there is unity, it's like the oil flowing and it's this pleasant thing. He says, it's good and pleasant when there is unity. Most of us would agree we like unity. Who would agree that you like to be in a place that's united? You like to be in a place where there's unity. There's a warm, fuzzy feeling that comes when you're in an environment where people are united together. You've only got to put yourself in a place. Who's ever been in a workplace that's been divided? A staff room that's divided. A sporting team that's divided a family that's divided. It's not a fun place to be. It's not an enjoyable place to be. And the writer of this psalm says it's a good and pleasant place to be when there is unity. He paints a picture that says that unity is like the flow of oil going through it. But at the end, he says, more importantly, he says, we're told that where there is unity, God commands his blessing. Where there is unity, God can't help but provide the blessing. Where there is unity, the oil can flow. To me, it's like this. Unity creates the channel or the way or the method for the oil to flow. Unity provides the way for the anointing to go from the head to the edge. And just the opposite, disunity or division actually creates a blockage, actually stops something from flowing. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen like water make its way down a hill? It finds its own path. We live on a sloping block and we have water that runs It used to run through a house, now it goes around a house. But you would always be looking, where is that track going? It would find its way. Wherever there was no resistance, it would flow down and it would make its way from the top to the bottom. But if there was a blockage, it couldn't get past. And that's what we've done. We've created a blockage called our house so that it goes around to our neighbours. Aren't we good? (laughs) Now it goes down into the drain. We're responsible citizens. To me, this picture, though, shows a relationship that, yes, God provides the anointing. No doubt about that. But when there is unity, we create a channel for that anointing to flow. We create a way or a path for that oil to flow from the head to the tail, from the beginning to the end, to every aspect of our life. This picture, to me, shows two components. It shows, like I said, God doing his bit as he always does. And two, you and I doing our bit doing our best to be united, being together in unity. And God says in that place, he cannot help but command a blessing. He cannot help but command a blessing in that place. To me, unity is so much more than a good and pleasant thing. It is a good and pleasant thing. We like it. It's good. But I believe it's a vital ingredient in seeing God's plans and purposes outlived in our lives and our communities. For the church, not just this church, but the church, 
the church united can do so much more than the church divided. The church united that agrees, hey, the things that we agree about are more important than the things we don't agree about. And we can say, you know what, together there's so much more power that can happen. I believe there's so much more anointing that can flow. I'm not saying that we control the amount of anointing. That's up to God. What I'm saying is that we can be vessels of His anointing. We can be, um, what's the word, where it flows through us and not a blockage to it because we are united with Him. You know, it's a great example on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, let's go there. It shows to me this example of the Holy Spirit flowing. Acts 2, 1 to 4, reading from the New King James, says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There they appe- then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This day is known as Pentecost Sunday. It is a day where 50 days after Easter, where the disciples were gathered together and the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in a powerful way. It changed the lives of those in that room that day. That room was referred to as the upper room where they were gathering. And they left that room empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see how this day and this message started to spread. The gospel started to go beyond Jerusalem, beyond the local area, and it went, began to go to the far corners of the earth. It says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not contained just to that room. It wasn't just a special few that got to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it began to spread that as the disciples and people start to pray for people and lay hands on people, they too receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People of different backgrounds, people of different cultures, people of different beliefs were all filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit and it started from that day. It started in one central place. It started at the head. The oil was poured out and it flowed to the edge. It flowed to every corner of the planet. It's like that picture again of the oil flowing down Aaron's head and beard and face. I don't know what part of the body we are. Maybe we're the pimple on the back of his ear. I don't know. It's not a very good picture, is it? But it started there that day, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it has gone to the edge all the way to places like Australia. All the way geographically across the globe, many men and women can say, yes, I too have received this baptism of the Holy Spirit. I have received this empowering that comes not from man, but from God. And I've received it. It has not just been contained to this one spot in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but it has spread across the globe as the way it was intended to. It flowed from the head to the edge. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you're not aware, is something that happens to you you, you, have to, you have to be a Christian. You're a, you're a Christian. You've invited Jesus into your heart. And yes, you receive the Spirit of God on that day. But it happens afterward where you receive Jesus, but then you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You read the book of Acts, you see over and over again that people that were already saved, they were already followers of Jesus. They'd already invited Jesus into the heart. But then they had this second experience where the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon them and it empowered them and it changed them. And that's what we see. So it happens after you're a Christian. It says that it's experiential. It can be experienced and it can be observed. You're conscious of it. And it's everywhere in the New Testament. So it's not like this spooky thing where you're out of control of yourself, but it's this natural thing that I believe for believers where the Holy Spirit comes upon you and He empowers you and He enables you to do what God has called you to do. 
And this baptism of the Holy Spirit, like I said, it happened that day. And as followers of Jesus, we too can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. At the end of this message, I'm going to pray and give an opportunity for you. You might be sitting here in church and thinking, I've never heard of this before. Maybe you've heard of it before and you've never experienced it for yourself. My prayer is that every one of us this morning would have the opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That you would know that empowering that can come from living the life that God has called you to live by being empowered by His Spirit. And like I said, at the end of today, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. Just like they did on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. But before we go on, and I'm not going to preach long this morning. I know I say that every week and then I lie to you and I'm sorry. (laughs) But before we go on, did you notice Acts 2? The beginning of Acts 2 verse 1, what it says about those that were gathered on that day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, it says they were all with one accord in one place. One accord. We're not talking about a Honda right now, Brett Cobby. I remember your dad joke from last year. Before we go on, what does one accord mean? You know, in Acts chapter 1, the, the previous chapter, we read in verse 12, it says, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This group of people, they were the disciples of Jesus, they were the followers of Jesus, they were the family of Jesus, and they were waiting in Jerusalem as Jesus had instructed them to. He told them, wait here until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But as they waited, it says that they waited with one accord. On the day of Pentecost, it says that they were gathered in one accord. What does it mean to be in one accord? Now, I don't do this very often, but I looked up the Greek meaning of that word. In Acts 2.1, I think I've got a slide for it, it was where it says one accord. The Greek word is homo thumadon. Yes, you will use that in your language this week, I'm sure. But what it means is this, with one mind with one accord, with one passion, and with one purpose. That's what the disciples were doing on that day. They were gathered together as one. And Luke draws attention, Luke's the author of Acts, he draws attention to the fact that they were joined together in one accord. The words one accord appear 12 times in the New Testament, and 10 of those times are in the book of Acts. So you can say a theme of the book of Acts is action and the Holy Spirit, but another theme of the book of Acts is that this oneness. They were together with one purpose, with one mind, with one passion, and with one heart. They were in on it together. And Luke draws a contrast between that and what happened before Jesus was crucified. His disciples are saying things like this, or they're getting their mum to say it because they didn't have the guts to say it. Jesus, when we're in heaven, can I have the spit on the left side and the right side of your throne? They were pushing themselves forward, saying, hey, I want to have the most important role. And it says that they they fought and they bickered over who could be the most important place besides Jesus. And Luke draws this contrast, saying, before they were fighting, before they were pushing for their own place to be, you know what I mean? It's all about me. Mine, 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 mine. 
That's what they were about. But after the resurrection, Jesus restored them. And now we see that they are recommissioned. They are harboring no conflict or jealousy. And they were with one mind united together. They were together in it, waiting for the Holy Spirit as it was promised. And it is to that group of people that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is first received. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Holy Spirit first, that first baptism of the Holy Spirit came to a group of people that were united together as one. There was no division. There was no jealousy, but they were united together as one. And it's that place that the Holy Spirit came. To me, there is something very powerful about being in one accord. Jesus actually prayed for you and I and for his disciples that they would be one. In John 17, we read this, verse 11. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Verse 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me, people. That's who he's praying for. And he's praying that we all will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience, listen to this, such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus prayed over his disciples and he prayed over you and I that we would experience perfect unity, that we would be one. David in the Psalms tells us where there is unity, God commands a blessing. On the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit first came, they were just united together as one. Who thinks there's something powerful about unity? Who thinks there's something more to unity than just a warm, nice, good, fuzzy feeling that we enjoy, but it's actually an essential element to us doing what God's called us to do? How do we have this unity? I read this quote and I loved it. It says this, The oxygen that fuels the flame of one accord above all else is purpose. We talked about unity being one mind, one heart, and it said one purpose. I read this story about the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805. I've read about, oh, how many books have I read this year? Lots, 15, 20? I just power through these books. And I love reading historical fiction. Stuff that's actually happened, but they just make it a little bit more interesting. But you learn some cool stuff about history along the way. At the moment, I'm reading about the Mughal Empire in the north of India. Yes, I know, I'm a bit of a nerd. But anyway... Just before the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, the British naval Lord Nelson learned that an admiral and a captain in his fleet were not on good terms. Sending for the two men, he placed the hands of the admiral and the captain together. That wouldn't have gone down well. Two tough sailor blokes, you two hold hands. But then looking at them both in the face, he said, Look, over there is the enemy. What was he doing? He was giving them a common purpose. He was saying, hey, you guys might not see eye to eye. You guys might not get along. You guys might not exchange Christmas cards. But over there, that's our enemy. And that's our united purpose that we have to be aware of, not about the bickering that's going on between you and I. James Edwards says this about the word homothomen. He means that that unity that they're talking about is a unity that comes from outside ourselves rather than from any denominator common to ourselves. Look around this room. 
I wouldn't hang out with you guys on a Sunday if it wasn't for this common purpose. Maybe some of you, but not all of you. Why else would a gathering of this people with different background and different stories and different ages and different places in life, why else would we gather together? There's a common purpose. There is a common purpose. Another um, theologian or commentary said this, this word unity was once used to describe the sort of oneness that results when a group of soldiers is attacked by an enemy. Whatever their differences, the threat of destruction welds them into a fighting unit. So it is that grace draws us into a new relation with God and one another, making the church into something that it was not before, namely a family of Jews and Gentiles in Christ. A community gathered together with a common purpose. Unity does not mean uniformity. Amen. How good is that? Otherwise you have to be like the person next to you. That's a scary thought. The Jews and the, yes, it is Yanni, not Laurel. Who knows the difference between Yanni and Laurel? Put your hand up. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who does not know what I'm talking about? All right. It's a generational thing. I don't know. Look, Google it. There's a debate dividing the globe right now, and it is division, and it is evil, and we will come against it. One goal. Unity does not mean uniformity. This is what unity means. Listen to it. Unity means cooperation in the midst of diversity. Get that again. Unity means cooperation in the midst of diversity. You know, a great picture of unity That anointing oil that I started today talking about that was poured on Aaron's head and down his beard, five ingredients. There's a cookbook about that, isn't there? Five ingredients? Yeah. Five ingredients. Four. Sorry. Well, this one's got five. It's extra special. Four different spices, all very different, and olive oil. All different, mixed together, creating an anointing oil that had a sweet fragrance about it. The, all the spices were different, all had a different characteristic, all had different preferences, all had different about them, but brought together for the common purpose of making a sweet smell and anointing oil, they worked together in unity. That is the picture of unity. Unity is not based on common personal feelings, but on a cause greater than the individual. Those opposed to the church are united around their hatred of Jesus. Have you noticed that? People outside the church, they're they're united around their hatred of Jesus. They have different opinions on politics, on all kinds of things, but when it comes to attacking the church, they'll unite together on that. And it needs to be the same within the church, not that we fight them, but that we say, you know what, in the church we have a common purpose, and that common purpose will fuel our unity together. We have a common purpose. Jesus tells us that his purpose is this to his disciples, Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make them disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The reason God gives us this gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so that you and I are empowered to fulfill that great commission. You and I are empowered to do what this verse says. We can try and do this in our own strength. We can try and do this in our own effort. 
But when it's done with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that's when we see what we read in the book of Acts. That's where we see where we see across the globe today, churches being planted, the gospel going forth because it is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon said this in his sermon titled, The Indwelling and Outflowing of the Holy Spirit. He said that we should pray like this, Ask God to make you all that the Spirit of God can make you. Not only a satisfied believer who has drunk for himself, but a useful believer who overflows the neighborhood with blessing. So that oil comes onto your head and flows right down to the edge of your garment. And so that everything that you have contact with will experience that oil and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Not that just you would be satisfied, but that you would be useful for His kingdom and His glory and His purpose. Being in one accord, being united makes you useful. I really believe that unity and anointing go hand in hand together. And I know this, unity cannot be legislated and cannot be produced by the mechanics of an organization or a church. It is produced and maintained by the Holy Spirit. But unity is that thing that allows that when that anointing comes that you can be flowed out to every aspect of your life not contained to a church building, not contained to a Pentecost Sunday, not contained to a youth camp, but flowing out in every area of our life. That, I believe, is the purpose of the anointing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is it in our life that might be a blockage? Can I have the creative team come? What is it in your heart, in your mind, that's not united around that one purpose? You know, coming to church is not about getting everything that we want. It's not about all of our preferences and not about all of our tastes. It's about coming together as one saying, hey, we are here for a reason and a purpose. And that is to lift up the name of Jesus. That is to create a place where people can come to know who he is, can grow in their relationship with him, can be discipled in following God, and we can go into our world and make a difference. Whether you like a song or not does not matter. Whether you like the person you're sitting next to you or not does not matter. It's about that common purpose as one. I know a few of you are looking at your neighbor right now going, oh, I hope they like me. I've been sitting next to them for an hour and 20 minutes. I hope they do too. This morning I want to finish like this. Right now I just want us to close our eyes. And it's not me speaking right now. I just want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Is there any area of your family, of your business, of your home, of your church life, of your personal life, any aspect of your life that's not united there's division God I just pray into those situations right now God I pray that 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 Holy Spirit that anointing oil as it flows from the head which is you onto your body your church that there would be no blockages There'd be no areas of resistance, but your anointing would be able to flow in every aspect of our lives because we would be a church, we would be a people that are united around your cause, that are united around your purpose for our life. God, if there's anything in our heart right now that we need to turn away from, repent from, we do it, God. We make a step in our heart. We make a decision. We will be are united people. We will be united with your purpose, God, in our life. God, we pray for those areas. We know we can't do it in our own strength. It can only come by the empowering of your Holy Spirit. But my prayer, Lord God, 
that we would be a united church. There would be unity. And where there is unity, Lord God, I know that you command a blessing. Where there is unity, I know that your oil and your anointing will flow through every area of our life. And just with our eyes closed in this moment, if you're here this morning, you've never invited Jesus into your heart. You've never made a decision to say, Jesus, I want to live for you. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. And I want to give my life to following you. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Then right now in this place, just raise your hand so I can see it. Just making a bold declaration saying, yep, that's me this morning. I know I haven't talked to you about how to do that, but just in this place, say, yeah, that's me. I've come to church this morning and I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, to following him, to knowing him, to having a relationship with him. God, we thank you that if we call upon your name, we will be saved. And pray that anyone here this morning that does not know you, that right now, Lord God, you would call upon their heart. You would reveal yourself to them like only you can. They would know your truth, your love, and your acceptance. I want us all now to stand. We're going to sing a song in a moment. And this morning, I just want to give an opportunity for that anointing to flow like we've talked about. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never been prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, we read that when people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that often it happened as people laid hands on them, they prayed for them and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It came upon them. The way you receive anything in the kingdom of God is by faith. By faith, we receive salvation. By faith, we receive what God has for us. So it's just a simple saying, God, I want that. I want that empowering. I want that baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to know what it is to be empowered by your Holy Spirit for my life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you as we sing this song to come down the front because I would love to pray with you and for you this morning. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come over onto this side of the building just so that I know that I'm praying over here for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you've never done this, church, I encourage you that this would be a great morning on Pentecost Sunday to be prayed for to receive the gift of baptism of the Holy Spirit. And over here, I'm going to invite people to come and stand in this song as well. And here is just for you if you go, you know what? I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I just want to open myself up to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life today. I'm just hungry. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I've got that. But I just want whatever the new thing is that God's doing in my life, I want to hear it. Maybe he wants to give you a prophetic word this morning. Maybe he wants to heal a part of your, your body. Maybe he wants to give you an answer to that breakthrough that you've been crying out for. I just know that the Holy Spirit, the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit wants to flow over every part of us this morning. Maybe you just want to get a little bit drenched so that you can go out and be that person that God's called you to be. We're just going to open it up right now. So what are we singing? Are we singing a song? Show me your glory. Yeah, we're singing a song. Show me your glory. And that's our prayer this morning, that the glory that is on our God would be upon us, that we would experience and walk and taste in it. So let's, church, start to come. Start to stand, start to say, God, we are hungry 
for you. Holy Spirit, move. We give you permission to fly from the head to the edge. Every aspect of our being, every aspect of our life, of our business, of our family. Holy Spirit, we're hungry for you. Thank you, team.